Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. Today, I have Walid Susu, uh, the CEO of Quasar and Wearable Technologies. Um, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff. Walid, how are you doing? Good. Thank you, Rick. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, we're talking about Quasar and then a, a wearable commercial end of the business. Um, can you give listeners just a brief description of what Quasar and then your commercial arm does? Sure. Quasar is a sensor company. We have developed um, state-of-the-art electromagnetic sensors that have very, very high sensitivity and very low noise uh, properties. And we have uh, developed uh, applications of these sensors for anything from radio tower transmission detection to lightning detection to underground oil prospecting to DNA sequencing. Mm -hmm. One of the most exciting applications for us is, however, uh, the use of these sensors for monitoring physiological signals of the body, such as uh, electrical cardiograms, ECGs, and most notably recently, EEGs. So our sensors are capable of measuring uh, signals of the brain, the electrical activity of the brain, and we have developed uh, headsets that are easy to wear that uh, allow us to measure these brain signals with very, very high fidelity and low noise. So what, what's your background? How did you get into making all these sensors and all this stuff? Excellent. I myself have a neuroscience background. I am um, I used to work in field of uh, multi-electrode arrays. We used to record uh, uh, slices and brains uh, from live animals. I joined Quasar when I had heard that they were developing this uh, dry electrode technology. So they were, you know, seeming to have the most developed sensors, and I came to them because I would wanted to develop uh, some applications of these dry electrode sensors. And um, they had uh, really some impressive uh, systems at their hands, and this was about 10 years ago. And um, they offered me a job, so I took it, and we've been looking to develop um, applications of their sensor technologies in the EEG space for the past 10 years. Well, tell me, all right, so which technologies are you most excited about? It sounds like the biomedical ones. You know, let's talk about a few in detail, uh, the ECG type stuff. What does the sensor look like? Where does it go? You know, how does it work? Sure. So the sensor itself is uh, slightly uh, about the size of a quarter and maybe uh, about the thickness of uh, you know, a quarter of an inch thick. Um, and the, the, the shape and look of it depends on the actual application. So we'll talk about um, uh, monitoring brain activity. And so when, if you want to monitor brain activity, you need some something that goes through the hair and touches the skin. And yet the head's pretty sensitive, so you need it to be comfortable. So we've developed the sensors to have pins, and they go through hair, kind of like a comb goes into your hair. And then we have a... a patented spring approach that allows the sensors to stay stably on your head and yet be comfortable for long long wear. Um, so that's um, that's some of the mechanical design aspects of it. And of course, there's a lot of uh, electronic engineering that goes into making these systems uh, work well. Um, sorry, perhaps your question was asking more about the applications? 
Well, we'll get to that in a second. Does the sensor like okay. sit in line with your hair? Does it go into your head or does it touch your scalp or how does it interact with your body physically? Yeah, great question. So, no, it actually makes contact with the scalp and the material we use uh, makes uh, just electrical uh, contacts with the skin and uh, it also exchanges ions with the, with the sweat on the skin that naturally happens as your skin is breathing. Um, so, how does it look? It looks like a little bit of a, a small prongs. They're rounded, so they're very comfortable. They're, they're not sharp. They don't cut the skin. It's actually far less invasive than uh, the way current technology monitors the brain. So today, if you were to go to a hospital and go for an EEG, measurement of brain activity, you would have to uh, sit through an enduring process where they braid your skin, meaning they actually take some uh, gel material that has some sand particles in it, and they rub it on your scalp, and that creates, creates micro-cracks in your skin, uh, which are important for the next level. They bring in some gel, and they put it in, and they put some metal cup electrode on you, and then they glue it down with some glue, and uh, they record your signals. So it's a, it's a little painful. It's, not, it's considered non-invasive, but it's not something you want to do every day. Right. So that's, that's, that's really where our technology came from. We had uh, when we had developed the sensors I mentioned to you at the beginning, um, DARPA came to us and, and we caught their attention. They said, "Hey, can you use those sensors for measuring cardiac signals?" And we showed that we could do that. We could measure cardiac sensors. They wanted to do it in a chair so that somebody could sit on a chair and, without their knowing, you could measure their cardiac signals so they could get some measure of whether they were lying or not. And that was a big okay. challenge that the sensors had to work through clothes. You know, you weren't going to put any gel on the person. You were, they were going to uh, really uh, stealth mode the detection of cardiac and heart rate variability to determine whether somebody was stressed or not, if they were lying or not. Huh. Is that the so intended, that, that, well, for, for the yeah, heart stuff, is that um, your intention to use it just for that single purpose, or do you have... Uh, you just want to make a non-invasive way to measure heart activity. Yeah, exactly. So we follow the, the, the sponsors, right? They they pay our bill and they develop something and then uh, they decide to take it further or not. In this case, um, they left us with a very nice technology in a form of um, a sensor that's embedded in a chair. We've had the company from the auto industry express interest in it where they're looking to monitor driver fatigue, driver stress, uh, also driver cardiac health. And we've had uh, companies uh, express interest in monitoring uh, old folks and retirement homes who are at uh, high risk of uh, cardiac events, and they just don't want to have chest bells worn. They don't want to be monitored. They don't want to be bothered. But they sit there on their chairs and watch TV for hours. And so the idea was, you know, if you could put those sensors in people's chairs, you could be monitoring them for hours on end, non-invasively, without bothering them, and without making them feel like they are or at risk, which is a big concern for them. They don't want to wear these things and feel like they're about to die. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. So it's a really non-invasive. Even uh, you'd even forget you're being monitored. Exactly. It's have you completely... um, yeah, go ahead. have you thought about migrating this solution to clothing, where a shirt you'd wear would do the monitoring, so it's completely um, portable with you? Absolutely, and you probably if you look, go right now into Best Buy and you'll see a whole uh, array of them, uh, I'm proud to say that uh, one of those is actually ours. 
uh, and unfortunately, due to non-disclosure agreements, I cannot tell you which which one it is. Um, but we have um, a wearable version that's uh, worn as a belt that uh, is is marketed uh, by a third-party company that has licensed this technology from us, and uh, it, you know it works beautifully on the cloud. It sends the data to for review for physicians. It's uh, got all the bells and whistles that um, all those chest belts has and it's got a award-winning design and we're pretty proud of it unfortunately we're not allowed to say which company it is that is manufacturing it no, that's fine but people know it exists they can find it if they want it so yeah, that works absolutely they can they you know it's it's, it's being well promoted by that company it's just that they want right. to keep their information confidential um, what other uh, applications are you really excited about that you're either have commercially or, or in development on right now? Most the most exciting technology I I think by far is the brain monitoring. So cardiac monitoring was the past. It's, it's not an old past. It's like uh, you know it's the present I should say. You know everybody right now has a Fitbit and some kind of cardiac monitor, whether it be in the wristwatch or chest belt, and that's what's happening right now. But what's far more exciting is what's on the horizon. Probably starting to see it um, and hear about it in the news and see it, see them on Kickstarters. There's a lot of interest in brain monitoring, and brain monitoring is the next cardiac monitoring. So if we could monitor what's happening in our brains, we could use that for a very very wide range of applications. Those could range from education, improving people's ability to pay attention during a test, improving people's ability to focus and um, adapt their computer software to them so that they're studying at the right level, right efficiency. There's just some of the easy examples in education, which is a large market. There are people who are interested in using brain sensing for gaming. Um, and the challenges in gaming are, are large. You need something that's reliable to be used by people at homes, people the things that are easy, and yet at the same time provides you some kind of useful, meaningful signal that you can use in a fun fashion, right? This is not, we're talking, right. taking science out of the lab, out of hospital setting to, to home gaming use. So those are some of the, you know, really things that you hear about in the news, and those are the things that are exciting. And those are the things that I think are coming about in the next. Um, they're starting to show up, but I think they're going to mature in the next three to five years. They'll they'll start to become more mature and, and more readily um, fun and useful. Well, let's get into that. So, what what would you want to measure about someone's brain activity, and what would you do with that information? What's like a specific couple of examples? Okay. So, one of the things that people want to know um, today, uh, the marketing people want to know. What are you, what are you really thinking at a subconscious level? So they do marketing studies, uh, and the way they do that is focus groups. They ask people, "Hey, do you like this product or not?" And people say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I like it," but then they don't go buy it. So what people have been interested in doing is looking at if they can monitor brain activity, and really tell what the person's propensity is. Are they going to buy it? Are they going to remember this ad? Did they really see this? Uh, you know laptop that was injected into the movie? Did they catch the branding? And so what people call this is neuromarketing. So you measure a person's brain activity and you see how they're responding emotionally to the task. Are they happy? Are they aroused? Are they remembering it? Are the right brain areas being activated that we're trying to get activated? And how does that work on the demographics? Are men responding the same as women? What's the age groups that are, you know, how are 
So the same questions that they could ask for marketing, now they can do in neuromarketing with a little bit more insight as to what's happening in the person's brain. That's one example. Well, what about for users, though? I mean, like, you know, users don't want marketers in their brain, but what about, like, you know, I want to play, uh, you know, let's say I'm, a, I don't know, I'm trying to learn something in school. You talked about education. How will this help me without, you know, a third party, like, poking around in my brain? Sure. How can I use sure, this feedback to uh, help me learn better? Absolutely. Um, let's talk about gaming first because uh, that one's easier. Uh, it, it's related to the emotional. So a lot of time and money is spent by gaming uh, industry to get um, to get their users to enjoy the game from the beginning to the end. So they make it harder and harder progressively. And as you do better, they kind of have to tweak the game too so they can keep it harder. So some gaming industry is really interested in being able to monitor the game's progress for you individually and adjust the game so that it's constantly fun and challenging enough for you. You don't want to get to the point where it's too difficult and you kind of lose interest or it's too easy and you lose interest. So just kind of keep it at this ideal, well-tuned Goldilocks state where you're happy and enjoying the game and it's just challenging enough for you. Now, if you can imagine that for gaming... Try to imagine the same thing for education. So you're sitting there in a classroom. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I think I understand. So okay, so a game. I've seen games, and even tests that get harder if you answer a question correctly, or easier if you don't. So you're saying you want to also incorporate what's going on in the brain. There's signals that would tell you if someone's frustrated, so you could adjust the education or the game level or skill on the fly so that it more closely adapts to, let's say, pushing them a few percent, but not like totally frustrating them. Exactly. So if you think of the example of the adaptive test, you could be doing a test and you answer the question right. And you could have taken a few seconds to answer. So what those tests do is they look at your time to respond and whether you got the question right or wrong and they adapt. Problem is, they don't know if you guessed or not. They don't know if you were paying attention or not. They don't know if this was something you were struggling with or whether this is something you really mastered. So if you can monitor someone's brain during a test or during a lesson even, if it's this computer-based lesson, which is where a lot of education is going these days, you could make that software adapt dynamically to more information than even a teacher in the classroom would have. Typically, a teacher would look in your eyes and say, you know, John or Richard is really getting it, and Waleed is not getting it. We should really give Waleed some remediation. Computer software doesn't know that. But if it can look into your brain and say, you know what, Waleed is really not getting this material. He's really struggling with it. It might go back and, and give me some refreshers. If it finds that you're getting bored out of your mind because it's too easy, it might move you up. It might give you a little video to wake you back up and kind of get you back reengaged and then move you up to a harder level. So you can look and see frustration. You can look and see confusion. You can look and see arousal. You can see workload. You can see a lot of brain states that are relevant for educational settings. It sounds like this of course, that requires. Sorry, go ahead. Of driving, you know, if it, it sounds like this would be a great system if you're driving and um, it does eye tracking or other signals that shows that you're falling asleep or not paying attention that it could stimulate you slightly to wake you up, you know, maybe cause a steering wheel to buzz or something visual to happen. It sounds like that would be a good uh, application as well. 
So I think the, the challenge always in, in these applications, you have to think of the value being important enough for someone to be willing to adopt the technology. So in the case of driving, I agree. It's, it's a great application. Lots of people uh, ask us about the fatigue monitor for driving. And the, the truth is I, I'm, I personally don't think that that's the, um, the hottest application. And here's why. We're talking about putting some kind of sensors that are going to go through the hair that are needed to make good contact with the head to get the good signals that you need to be able to do meaningful determination. Eye tracking is a great example. You don't have to do anything. It sits there in front of you. It's looking at your eyes. You don't even know it's there. So if you use eye tracking, that's fine. That's a good burden of difficulty in exchange for the value that you get out of it. I mean, you don't have to do anything, and it gives you some information. In the case of, if even if you had to put a band on your head, even if you tried to embed it into the car seat, but now you you know, you know have to make sure that it's made good contact, that's a little bit too much of a burden to ask somebody driving their car when they're going to say, you know what, I know when I'm tired, I know when I'm not tired, I don't need this technology. So you really need to find applications where that cost, not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of burden on the person to adopt the technology has to be rewarding enough for them that the outcome should be rewarding enough that it merits that cost, that investment. That makes sense. It's good you look at that. You take it into account. You would think with cars, you know, seatbelt, no one cares how inconvenient it is for you, or the seatbelt chime, or, you know, all these warning things. It seems like with cars, it's, uh, you know, the government's kind of mandating, you will do this, we don't care. <laughs> but uh, it's nice that you're sensitive to that. Um, yeah, of course. And then in cars, all cars are going to, of course, be driverless in five years. So uh, we won't need to monitor the driver anymore. <laughs> and, uh, um, for education and gaming, how far along are you guys with these sensors? Do you have uh, case studies of education where you know someone was able to learn better or faster or gaming, they had a better gaming experience? So what we have right now is we have an NSF-funded Phase 2 SVAR grant. So that's a grant that the National Science Foundation awarded us. Um, and we had a Phase 1 where we demonstrated that we could monitor um, students in a classroom environment. We could monitor their brain activity. We could see their workload and engagement uh, in real time. Uh, and then they gave us Phase 2, and we're working with a partner that, again, unfortunately, uh, I cannot uh, reveal the name, but I can say that they're one of the leaders in adaptive um, uh, educational software. And we're partnering with them to investigate how well um, the EEG data correlates with students' uh, difficulty in learning um, outcomes during um, a period of them going uh, undergoing um, some educational uh, material. So they take this course and we monitor their brain activity during the course, and we look and see how well we can correlate the signals of workload and engagement to the performance of the students. And the end point of it is so that we can make this adaptive software be more, uh, do a better job at adapting to the individual students' needs and minimize the amount of time they're spent learning something. The whole point is learn more faster, which hopefully will make it more fun mm. for anybody going through a course. Any any hard data yet from phase one? Do you, do you, can you quantify any improvements or changes or experience? So, uh, phase, phase, anecdotal? Sure. Phase one, we demonstrated that we could track um, difficulty and workload on the students. Uh, we, what we did is we changed the word difficulty, and we could see that we could track difficulty as the, as the students performed uh, different tasks. Um, 
In phase two, at the moment, we've just uh, finished collecting data uh, from, uh, uh, I forget what it's like, 30-some students um, undergoing the task. And no, we don't have uh, results yet. Those are currently being crunched, and hopefully we'll, we'll see what that's uh, leading to. That's going to be fed into a model that, that does some predictive uh, assessment of the students, and we want to see how well that model does with and without, or with and without the EEG data. So call me back in a few months, and hopefully I'll, I'll update you. Yeah. Any any anecdotal data from the students? Have they told you, man, this sucks or this is better? Or... No, unfortunately, at the moment the students are not. Yeah, at the moment the students are uh, working on this in an open loop fashion, meaning um, the software is doing what it does uh, normally, and they have the headsets on, but the headsets is not affecting the outcome of the of the experiment at this phase. Uh, next year, uh, the loop will be closed and they could um, they could see what, the, what difference it will make. The, f the feedback we get from the students right now is they're all super excited about having a headset on, about seeing their brain activity. So <laughs> we can certainly imagine a level of novelty and um, excitement about uh, for from students about having something like this. Of course, you also have to have the the concerns of the parents about people monitor their brains, are we reading their thoughts, are we going to violate their privacy, all sorts of things like that have to be addressed. The, the fears and concerns have to be addressed for, for, the, for the parents and population. But uh, the science is there. We're, it's, it's technology that's been developing for the past um, 15 years now, uh, and I would say is, is getting to the point where it's maturing in the applications you'll start seeing coming out um, not just from our company, but from other companies in that space in, in very short time. Any mythology surrounding it? Like you said, reading people's minds, is that possible or just, you know, there's no way? Or, you know, what's what's real, what's myth based on what you've seen? Sure. Uh, the mythologies, yeah, the mythologies that, uh, that you see right now, uh, some of them have to do... Um, with with fears, uh, some of them uh, have to do with uh, with hype of the technologies. So when new technologies come up, there's often uh, greater hype than is mandated. So an example, um, there's right now uh, applications where they do current stimulation into people's uh, brains, and there's some anecdotal evidence and growing body of evidence actually that shows that there could be some improvements in performance. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, challenges and questions about that, and it's still um, on the cutting edge of research, but people are too eager to adopt these things. And so there's this risk of uh, overly promising and the hype um, and uh, un unfulfilled uh, expectations when things like that happen. Um, can people read your your brain thoughts? In a, in a, in a fashion, in some way, yes. There's, an, uh, there's a patent out there, and we're working with some groups that uh, look to see whether you're lying or not from EEG data. So the way that works, the data can't tell whether you're thinking about um, your girlfriend or your other girlfriend. Uh, but what they can do is they can show you pictures of people. and Or if this was a crime scene, um, they could show you pictures of a crime scene. And they could look at your brain activity and see if you recognize that crime scene or not. And that's a response that you get in your brain. It's called a P300 when you, when you recognize something that uh, if you... But it's very hard to suppress. It's not like a lie detection. You can try to fake that. It's very, very hard to suppress that. It's very specific. So in a way, yes, they could read your thoughts, but of course somebody would have to put the EEG headset on you first and show you a bunch of pictures, and then they would be able to tell whether you recognize this picture or not. Uh, or not. So there are some potentials uh, of using this technology either in a 
law enforcement fashion or in a monitoring fashion, but I don't think it's the it's the fear that should stop us from uh, exploring the actual good value potential of this technology and what it could do. Gotcha. Okay. Any any other um, technologies or sensors you're working on that uh, are of interest, or I mean, is this kind of the top stuff that you love the best? No, there's always there's always more and exciting. So first, I'll add one really exciting application that you're you're kind of we're alluding to is how to make education more fun. So you know we talk about gaming, we talk about education because those are really really big ones. What how can you make those two one? And so people kind of try to have been trying to approach this for a while and kind of bridging the talking about um, you know you'll see these headsets out there, consumer grade EG headsets. That out there trying to do gaming, but it's boring because it doesn't work. Um, there's a company out there that released a game a couple of years ago. And I'm not naming companies. It was a really, really great idea where you're using the force of your mind to kind of do things, but it was really boring because it didn't work. There are people that are trying to do education and kind of having these, let's not call it fake news, but unsubstantiated claims about. Um, what you expect of improving your brain and what you can do with it. And, and that's leaving people with a, a sour taste in their mind about what can be done. But what if you could use EEG and in a gaming fun environment, improve your brain, not improve the performance on a task, not improve uh, your ability to play one particular game, but actually strengthen connections in your brain through mechanisms of neuroplasticity that have been well established and demonstrated over the past 50 or 40 years now of uh, neurofeedback. Do that in a fun fashion that is related to education, that is related to self-improvement, that is a way, a scalable form of going to the gym for your brain. That, I think, is the most exciting potential that you will see in the next couple of years coming out. challenge will be to tell which ones are real, which ones are not, Hopefully, when you look at the names wearable sensing and quasar, you'll recognize those must be the good ones. Um, but you know, I think that that's going to be a really, really exciting uh, things happening in the world of education and um, and gaming. Yeah. Last question on that. So, when you say um, you're working with the normal pathways to increase the neuroplasticity, et cetera, what what does that mean? Does that mean you can learn a skill faster? Or you can retain more of the skill you learned, or I mean, what's the end implication of being able to uh, work with your brain in a better way? Excellent, great. That absolutely depends on how you intend to use that that workout. So what I mean by that is, you go to the gym and you can go to the gym and you can work out for endurance, you can work out for speed, you can work out for strength, you can work out for whatever you want to work out for, and you can and for for, for improved focus. And you can do those same things for your brain. And that's going to depend on how the application is laid out. So if you imagine a game that you're playing, what you now do is the feedback that the brain is giving you when you do something right is strengthening a particular brain network area that you want to strengthen. So there are areas in your brain that you will want to strengthen if you want to improve your memory. There are areas you can improve, want to strengthen networks if you want to improve your uh, vocabulary and your um, linguistic skills. There are areas you can improve for math skills. And what that means is you um, improve the synchronization between neurons that are fired together. And that's, that's the plasticity that happens. So the brain area says, okay, I'm 
learning now how I should respond in this particular situation. If this was focus, focus is a very important one, attention and focus. Those are things that you know people tend to call the zone, the, the flow. They're all measures of focus. If you can learn your consciously to get your brain into that state through a fun way, okay. now you can apply this everywhere. Now you can apply this when you're reading a book, when you're in the classroom, when mm. you're playing game, when you're playing basketball. You have actually strengthened the muscles. Like lifting a dumbbell with your biceps, well, that's going to make a stronger bicep. Now you can go box, you can play basketball better, you can do a lot of things. You've strengthened the muscle. That's what I mean by that. You can strengthen muscles of your brain, so to speak, so that you can do more with it. Right, that's great. Yeah, you can turn on and be 100% present or more productive anytime you want. Yeah, it's a great promise. And I think those things okay, are Ali. those things are, are going to wrap. Those you're going to see those applications starting to come up in a couple of years. You, you think what? Uh, how many years? What, three to five years? More or less? No, no. You're you're starting to see them actually right now. With um, some of them, unfortunately, overpromising what they're selling. But hopefully, I would say. Not this Christmas, but uh, hopefully next Christmas you'll start seeing some things on the shelves that that are making more and more claims. I mean, I, I see them already on Kickstarter. Some companies are starting to make claims of doing that. So I think you're going to see more and more things um, rolling out this year, next year, you know, two, three years. You should, should market should start being maturing in that domain. Okay, well, very good. Um, last question: What's the best way for um, listeners to engage with? you know, Quasar and your wearables company and learn more about you, talk about licensing, partnerships, et cetera. Go to our website, wearablesensing.com or quasarusa.com and uh, reach out to us, email us, contact us, uh, call us. We respond to all of those. Very good. Well, Lee, thanks. Thanks so much. Um, you know, I really appreciate what you're working on and I can't wait to see what uh, what comes. Thank you, Richard. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, please do not hesitate to reach back out if there's anything else we can help you with. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.